All right, good morning again. It is so good to be here, so awesome to um, to gather. I say it every week, man, but I, I really do, man. I look forward to, even on nice days when we could be at the beach, I look forward to, uh, to being here gathered with God's people. It's something about it. Uh, once again, I want to say thank you to all of our first-time visitors. If this is your first time being here, it seems like there's a lot of visitors here, a couple here, and I'm just uh, thankful for you guys. You could have worshipped anywhere else, uh, but we are grateful that you decided to come here with us. We genuinely believe as a church that we exist to join Jesus and his mission to redeem our city. That's our mission statement. That's our, that's our goal, is that we're joining Jesus in what he's already doing here. And we believe that one of the ways in which, really the main way in which he redeems a city is through, uh, is through a church. When he wanted to, to save a city, Nineveh, uh, a city like Nineveh, or he wanted to save another city, he would send a man with a word, not saying I'm that man. I'm saying our church uh, should be uh, in a position where we are preaching faithfully the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And that, and that alone, is what redeems a city. And so uh, we're, we're grateful not to be the only church in this neighborhood, but, be, but to be one of the churches that is, uh, that is doing that. All right. You guys, do me a favor. Turn to uh, Philippians. Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. I'm excited to talk. So we've been going through a series on the church. The series is called The Bride of Christ series. It's a series on different aspects of the church. And what, what we really wanted to do, and I say it all the time, we wanted to take our church experience off. All of us in here have some type of experience in church, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And sometimes even the good experiences we have wasn't healthy ones. So in our mind, we're like, man, that, that worked out well. This is what I used to do. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day was it a healthy one? And so we wanted to just check out from what we believe in terms of church experience and just see what the scriptures had to say. There's a few things that, that I wish that I, I wish the series was actually a month longer uh, because there's a few things that I still want to go through. And actually in August, there's a couple of things that I still want to go through, but I don't want to do it uh, under the framework of the Bride of Christ series. We'll, series. we'll just do standalones. But today I want to talk about gospel-centered community gospel-centered community. And so when I say that, I'm talking about us as a biblical community, a local body connected to all other believers, all other, all other people that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I want to talk about what it looks like to be a gospel-centered community. And then well, I'm going to do it a little differently today. I'm going to shorten the sermon just a little bit because I do want to talk about and roll out something called DNA groups. DNA is disciple, uh, discipleship, nurture, and accountability. And I want us as a church to start to really, really hone in on what that looks like. You saw the announcements for small groups. Small groups is different than DNA, but uh, we, we will roll out what small groups look like. But I, I think it's important for us to really get on the ground. Like we can theologize what gospel-centered community looks like. We can say, well, I understand it biblically and then walk away and then do nothing with it. Or we can read it and try to apply what the scriptures tell us in terms of gospel-centered community. Let me just say this. If you're a believer in here, you're not a believer to be isolated on your own. Now, there's a, there's a time for that, and we're going to talk about that in the scripture. There's a, there's a time for that. Uh, but for the most part, we need to be deeply connected with other believers. And so Philippians chapter 2 is a great place where Paul is going to lay that 
lay that framework out for us. Let me read it and then, uh, and then pray and then we could, we could jump in. All right. Philippians, I, I said four, Philippians chapter two, one through four is where we'll be. It says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation of the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Let's pray. Father, today we are um, in desperate need of you. We are uh, in need of the, the nutrients that come from your word. We're in need of the gospel to impact us in a deep way. And so, Father, would you encourage our hearts today as we talk about what it looks like to be in a gospel-centered community? I think some of us do have an idea of what community should looks like, and some of it's healthy and some of it's not. Father, would you root us and ground us into your word? And at the end of the day, let that be the only thing standing in our lives, is your, your, your word impact us today. Pray for the believer today. Pray that you would encourage his heart. The one that doesn't know you, the one that's far from you, the one that's disconnected from you, would you do something in their heart today? We plead with you. We join Paul when he says, I desperately desire that they may be saved. Would you save someone today according to your word, according to the gospel? Pray that you would help me to preach with boldness and clarity. It's in Christ's name we give glory. Amen. Amen. I'm sure you have noticed that there is a deep disunity within the world. You don't even have to look far for disunity. I mean, you can look at, you can look on Capitol Hill and see disunity where, where Democrats are sitting in on Republicans in hope of getting legislation passed uh, for gun, uh, gun violence. We can look at police officers within African-American communities and see that there is a disunity within America. You can look at, or in the world for that matter, you can look at radical Islamists that will seek to terrorize a country. So disunity is everywhere. Disunity cannot be in the church though. Trust me on this one. The world is looking at the church to see how unified the church is. The world is looking at your Christian home. Your non-believing friends are looking to see what unity looks like. The problem is that I don't know if we're doing a good job of showing what community and what unity looks like. I mean, even if you look at, at homes, 40% of children in America tonight will go to bed with a, without a father in the house. Listen to this. The divorce rate is up to 56%. 50, like More than half of marriages are ending in divorce right now. And so there's disunity everywhere. Even within the church, there's over 6,000 denominational separations within Christians. 6,000. And so I know we're like, well, that doesn't, you know, as long as we believe in the gospel, there is a division within the church. But when I talk about community and the local church and you connecting with another believer, it's important that we do that because it really does show the unifying factor of the church. And that is exactly what I want to talk about today. That is exactly what Paul is addressing in the passage today. Paul is fighting to see two believers. Now, listen, this is a letter to the church. So Paul, this is not a letter to non-believers. He's not expecting there to be unity outside of Christ. He's expecting two believers that trusted Jesus, understand the gospel, to get connected in community. 
and he's expecting that to be, um, it, it's really, the, it's an ex- expectation in terms of it being the norm. Like he doesn't expect you to be a believer and you're at home by yourself, you know, listening to podcasts and, and, and watching Christian TV. Like that's your community. Let me just tell you, podcast is a bad place to get disciple. Horrible place to get disciple. Christian TV is not, that does not make a good pastor. You need a local church where somebody knows you, you're known where they can call you out on sin. Why? Because all of us have it. Like we can all act like, oh no, I don't, I don't have any sin. Listen, every single one of us have it, have it. So let's briefly consider the passage that we just read together. You guys know how we do. Want to expositionally walk through each verse, meaning just want to hit on each verse and see what Paul is saying to the Philippian church. He says this in verse one. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. And so Paul starts his his discussion on community, not by talking about being in community with one another. Like, don't miss this. Paul could have started talking about unity and community in terms of our relationships, but he doesn't do that. Paul starts by talking about your, your oneness with Jesus Christ. That's how Paul starts off today. And so what Paul is saying is he's revealing the deep truth here. He's showing that true community, I mean, real authentic community can only occur when Christ is central. It can occur outside of that. We don't have unity outside of that. We, we may have fellowship. We may have some good friendship. We may can kick it. We may can laugh. But deep, deep brotherhood, deep, deep sisterhood can only happen when Jesus Christ is central. Notice the word if. We're, now, in our English language, that sounds like conditional, right? Like if this is happening. That's not what it was in the original language. In the original language, it's better translated because... Or since. So let me read it as it's supposed to be read in the original language. Since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort and love from love, since there is participation in the spirit, spirit, and since there is affection and sympathy. And so what Paul is saying is, since you've received all of this stuff from Jesus Christ, you should go to community and go with that same stuff. And so because I've received love, I need, now need to come to the community and bring love. I need to come to my brother and bring love. I need to come to my sister. Since I've received sympathy from the Lord, I now need to go to the community with a sympathetic heart. Notice that it says in Christ. That's huge. So it says encouragement in Christ. So our community really starts with us being in Christ. So you coming over my house, me coming over your house, us going out to eat, that's not community. Community starts with you being in Christ. Once you are in Christ, then that other stuff is, e- e- is easier to flesh itself out. So Paul doesn't be- begin his discussion with the community by appealing to their relationships. That's normally where we start. Right? When we think of biblical community, we think of brotherhood, we think of sisterhood, we think of really being in relationship with someone else. We normally think right off the bat, let's get together. Paul is saying, no, go get with Christ. Because when you get with Christ, when you come together, see, when the gospel holds it together, in the gospel it says that we're all sinners. If we understand our sinful nature, 
then when I do come to community, it's easier for me to deal with you because I know you're a mess. Like, it's easier to deal with somebody else when you know they're a hot mess. Like, I'm a mess, you're a mess, we're underneath the gospel, that's the only thing that can bridge us together. And so Paul is saying, don't, don't miss this, he's saying, so if there is encouragement in Christ, being in Christ is an important, important factor. And so our, as we begin our discussion, I really want to push that to us. Real biblical community does not depend on human oneness, but real biblical community begins with a supernatural bonding of Christ. He is the glue that binds us together. It's the only thing that will bind us together. Nothing else will bind us together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, uh, he's a German pastor, German theologian. Uh, he, I mean, literally was martyred for coming against the Nazis. He's a great Bible thinker. He says this. He says, he has a book called Life Together on, it's on community, on biblical community. And it's amazing to me, a book on community, he has a chapter that says day alone. In other words, you need to disconnect. You need to be alone. Look, this is what he says. He says, beware of the person that can never be separated from the brothers and sisters in Christ. Many times it's not community that he seeks or that she seeks. Rather, it's devotion, it's their devotion to community is them trying to escape from being alone. When a person can't spend time away from the community and be alone with the Lord, they're not a benefit to building community. Rather, they're a danger to community. And so if you're like, man, all I want to do is get with people, be around people, be in community, you're a danger to community. Why? Because Paul says, listen, there's encouragement in Christ. Like you have to be settled in your relationship with Christ so that when you do get around believers, you have something to bring to the table. If not, all you're doing is robbing yourself of joy of being in the community. It's not fulfilling just to be around people. Can we be honest? People sometimes get on our nerves. And so you may have a good season where it's, it's cool right now, but at some point, your relationship with Christ is the only thing that will sustain you in the midst of community. And so Paul says, he says, listen, there's encouragement in Christ. Remember, Jesus got away. Remember in Luke chapter five, when Jesus heals the leper and the Bible says that great crowds came to hear him. What did Jesus do? Jesus skipped out. He said, man, I'm gonna leave the crowd. I'm gonna go get away and I'm gonna get time to pray. That is, that is the importance of community. Importance of community is not just us being together. I wanna take that unhealthy thought off the table. Now it's important, right? Being with other believers is important, but if that's all of your spiritual walk, you're a danger. What we need is to get alone and get with Christ so that when we come to community, we will be able to strengthen it. If Jesus found it wise to pull away from the crowd, you should find it wise to pull away from the crowd, to be able to disconnect and just be with you and the Lord. And so if I always got to be around people, it's a danger. Now, but at the same time, we got to find balance. Before I move on from this, I don't want you to hear me talking about community and telling you to be isolated. It's not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is balance, right? Proverbs 18.1, he who isolates himself seeks his own judgment. He breaks out against all judgment. And so it's a danger. Isolation in our community is not good. Like isolation is, I'm gonna send you to jail because you can't be around the community. You can't function in jail, they put you in solitary confinement. Isolation is a punishment. So I'm not preaching isolation. What I'm preaching is balance. Get alone 
in Christ, because there's encouragement in Christ. And then when you come to the community, when you come to your brother, when you come to your sister, it's so much more fruitful. Either one of them, if you swing the pendulum too far, either way, it's a danger. So if I always got to be around community, that's dangerous. If I always got to be isolated, that's dangerous. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? We have to find a balance. And so as we're talking about community, Paul doesn't start with the Philippians with go with your brother and be of one mind. He gets to that, but he starts it by saying, listen, there's encouragement in Christ, right? You're fulfilled in Jesus. Now that you're fulfilled in him, bring that to the table. There's four things that Paul deals with in this first verse that stem from our blessing and being in Christ. And I just want to read each one of them really quickly. First one is, There is encouragement in Christ. Now, this is interesting that Paul says encouragement because Philippians is a prison epistle, just like we went through the book of Colossians. And that was Paul sitting in jail, writing a letter to the Colossians. Well, so is Philippians. Philippians is a is a a letter to a church while he's sitting in prison. But notice he just wrote to the church and told them that there's encouragement in Christ. How can Paul talk about encouragement while he's sitting in jail? In fact, in chapter one, he was talking about joy. In in chapter one, verse four, it says, because of your partnership in the gospel, actually, uh, verse number, yeah, verse number four, always in every prayer of mine, with all of you making prayer with joy. And so how can Paul in prison say, listen, I got joy and there's encouragement. Why? Because we're in Christ. And so Paul deals with the first one in the first, chapter, in the first verse. He says, encouragement in Christ. This word encouragement that Paul deals with here is translated uh, parakalesis, parakalesis. And so what Paul is really saying there is it means to come alongside of somebody, encourage them, encourage, like come alongside. This is the same word that's used in John chapter 14 when Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is the comforter, the encourager, the Holy Spirit. And so you getting along with Christ is really you building your life off of being spirit led, That's what it really points to. So that's the first one. Second one, he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love. And so he deals with comfort. Comfort is our union with Christ comforts us. uh, Consolation in love is what he's really talking about. Uh, the, The third one that he shows in here is if there is any participation in the spirit. This is the same word. You remember when we went through Colossians and I said, uh, not Colossians, Acts chapter 2, and I said that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they broke bread, and the fellowship, and we used the word koinonia, which was joint participation. Same word is used here. Paul says that there is joint participation, there's fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So me being in Christ really is me being in the spirit, being with the spirit. How many of you know that the moment that you believed, the moment you trusted Christ, you were empowered with the Holy Spirit? Like you, went, you didn't trust Christ and then later on the comforter came or the encourager came. That's not how the, 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 the koinonia came with the Holy Spirit. It didn't come later. The moment you believed, Ephesians 1, the moment you believed in Jesus, you were empowered. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit is what the scripture tells us. And so uh, Paul, Paul deals with that. He says, man, listen, encourage, be an encouragement in Christ. You're, you're encouraged. There's comfort and love. There's participation of the spirit. And then there's affection and sympathy. 
You can't come to the community and build off of real biblical community if there's no affection and there's no sympathy in your heart. Like you can't do it because why are you going to run into issues with people? And if you have no, if you have no encouragement, no sympathy, no empathy in your heart to their situation, what we'll do is we won't want community. We'll run and try to find DNA with somebody else. We'll run and try to find discipleship with somebody else. We'll run and try to find friendship with somebody else. We need sympathy. We need sympathy deeply. And so I wanted to point those four things out because Paul is showing us because you've received this from Christ, because you've received these four things, encouragement, you've received comfort and love, you've received affection, you've received sympathy. Now you go bring that to the community. And so Paul deals with our relationship with Jesus before he deals with anything else. Let's look at verse number two. This is why, by, by the way, this is why I named it Gospel-Centered Community. Because what we could have just named the text, uh, the, the, the title of our sermon, we could have just named it Community or People Community, People-Centered people Community. It's Gospel-Centered Community because Paul starts with your relationship in Christ. Look at verse number two. Complete my joy by being the same, of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul says here, complete my joy. Now remember, I just to- showed you in chapter one, he already said he had joy. So it's not like he's joyless. What he's saying is, When I see people in relationship building off of real community, now we're talking about the one another's of the scriptures, getting together with your brother, getting together with your sister. He's saying that completes my joy. That fills me up. That's what the word really means in the original text. When he says complete, he's talking about filling me up, filling me up to the brim. This weekend I went to to DC with my family and uh, my wife and I went to Starbucks. And, you know, I grabbed my normal coffee and she got like an iced coffee. And in the coffee, they filled her coffee. I mean, they filled the cup up like to the brim with ice and then put like that much iced coffee in it. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking, yo, I paid $4 for this. Like, you're going to take some of that ice out and, and fill it up. Really what they were doing was they were trying to give us a cheap substitute, but the cup was full. See, that's what many of us have. When he says complete my joy, filling up to the brim, many of us have a cheap substitute of what it looks like to be filled up. That's what, it, that's what Paul is showing us here. No, no, no. Be filled up. I want to be filled up, but I want to be filled up watching people get together and actually walking through life together. Not that everything is going well, but that you are uh, deeply walking with somebody. What brings you ultimate fulfillment? Like this brought Paul fulfillment. What brings you fulfillment? Is it when you get that call back from that job? Is it when you walk across the stage to get your degree? Is it when all of the bills are paid and you have money left over in the savings account? Is that what brings us complete fulfillment or complete joy? Or is your joy filled when you see the body actually being unified? When you see people actually getting with one another, is that what brings you real joy? And so the unifying goal that Paul gives us in this verse is one mind. Is, it, that's the goal. Look at how he starts his thought by saying the same mind, and he ends it by saying of one mind. He's pushing out the fact that the common goal is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Hear me very clearly. Community in and of itself is not the means to the end. The goal is the gospel. That's what brings us together. 
See, when all you're doing is seeking to be around people and that's community, you're really, it's an external fulfillment, but it's not an internal pool. Let me see if I can um, illustrate this for you. I have here a bag of marbles and I have here a magnet that has um, some objects on it. And so this, no one will tell me, is not community, right? These marbles are all touching each other. It's, it's connected, but there's an external factor to this community. So if I cut this net, the community disperses. It's going to be all up under the chairs. It's going to roll all over the place. It's going to be a mess. This is the community that many of us think we want. We want community that's externally connected by us just getting together. Us just getting together is this. What we need is a common goal. We need this. So what this is, is the magnet really it, it illustrates what the gospel is. So the gospel is the internal pool. So all of these little pieces are all connected. This is still community. But there's no external factor to this. You can't cut this. This is internally pulled together. That is what it looks like to be of one mind and of the same mind. It does not look like this. This is, let's just get together. And we got together and this is community. This is, I'm eternally pulled into community because we both have the same mind, the gospel. Amen. We both have the same goal, living underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying these people aren't believers. I'm saying our, our understanding of community is external. This is an internal pull. And so when it comes to community, do not think externally, let's get together. Think, how can we be of the same mind? Like, what is the unifying goal in this, in this passage? It's the gospel. Can I tell you how it's the gospel? Six times in the first chapter, he's mentioned the gospel. Six times. So before he got to community, he talked about the gospel message of Jesus Christ six times. Let me read them really quickly to you. Verse number five, because of our partnership in the gospel. Verse number seven, uh, in my imprisonment, in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. He talks about it in verse number 12. Uh, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me really has served as an advancement for the gospel. He talks about it again in verse number 16, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. He talks about it again in verse number 27. Only let your manner of life be counted worthy of the gospel. Such a linchpin verse. He talks about it again in verse number 27, the same verse. He says, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so six times Paul has mentioned the gospel. When he gets to having the same mind, one mind, he, it's not an external factor. He's talking about the gospel and talking about how that pulls us together. And so we can get together and we can talk about the gospel or we can live out the gospel. When we come together, we're unified. We're unified through what the scripture says about the gospel. Let's keep moving. Verse number, verse number three. Now, up to this point, notice Paul has not given us any do's and don'ts. Now, so I know some of you, how, how you're wired, and I'm kind of wired that way. I need you to just tell me what to do. Like, don't tell me about the community. Like, tell me what to do, and that's what I'll do. But he hasn't given us any do's and don'ts. Not yet. Now, verse three and four, he will he'll give us two negative uh, don'ts and he'll give us two positive what to do. And then in verse four, he gives us one negative and he gives us one positive. But he didn't give us any do's and don'ts before he secures us in our, our life in Jesus Christ. So that's what we get within 
uh, the scriptures today. Let's look at verse number three. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Can I suggest to you that doing verse number three and doing verse number four is impossible if we haven't done verse number one and verse number two? If we're not in Christ, there's no way, absolutely no way you'll be able to come to community without selfish ambition. Like, do you know that we are, we are wired to be selfish? It's the nature of who we are. Like Paul says in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 5.15, he says that Christ came to die that those who lived may no longer live for themselves. In other words, what Paul was saying, the DNA of every single human being is selfishness. Paul just says, don't live. Selfishness is a community killer. Like, do you know that the scripture tells us in, in Acts chapter 2 and 4 that they had everything in common? Like, can you imagine that? Everything, there was nothing that they said, this is mine. Everything was, this is ours. Everything, their money, their land, everything, we share everything. But Paul just said here, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. You come to community with a selfish ambition, we will, uh, we will absolutely destroy it. He doesn't just say selfish ambition, though. What else does he say? He says conceit. That's really, that speaks to the world's emptiness. That speaks to you pursuing the glories of the world. Conceit, right? You want to consume what the world has. My family and I went to a, um, years ago, we went to a hot air balloon um, like carnival and from there was hundreds of these hot air balloons and so from far away I'm looking I'm like man those are like those are huge they're beautiful they look solid like when that thing gets filled up it doesn't look like it's empty it looks like it's a solid rock until you get close enough and look inside of it see that's what running after conceit is the world's emptiness everything in this world is fleeting it looks so good it looks so solid walk up underneath of it it's nothing under there it's nothing under there. So Paul says, listen, when you come to community, don't come with selfish ambition. Don't come pursuing the things of the world. Don't come in those ways. But he does tell us how to come, though. He doesn't just say don't come this way. He says don't come, but when you do come, come in humility. How many of us can be honest? We struggle with humility. Like in our minds, we think we're humble. And that's the thing about humility. The moment you think you're humble, you've lost it. <laughs> Like, nobody can say, I'm humble, and not be prideful. Like, the moment you, it's like, it's like a, um, if, when you eat watermelons, like, the, the, they have a lot of seedless watermelons now. But back in the day, it seems like every watermelon I had had seeds in it. And, and it's like trying to pick up a, a watermelon seed. You ever try to pick up a watermelon seed? The moment you think you got it, that thing slips out of your hand. That's humility. The moment you think you're humble, it's gone. You're not humble anymore. But Paul is saying, when you come to the brothers, when you come to the sisters, when you come to community, when you come around believers, come humble. Come humble. Let's, I mean, honestly, if you line yourself up with the scriptures, really, you'll come out, you'll come out humble because no one reads the scriptures and beats their chest. Nobody does that. All of us read the scriptures, realize how far we are, fall to our knees to the only one that can beat his chest, Jesus Christ. And so the scripture tells us today, listen, pursue community, but pursue it in a humble way. Don't come to the community in a prideful way. What else does he say in here? 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, this is huge, count others more significant than yourselves. Amen. Do you know how hard that is? To count somebody else more significant than you. Now, some of the, the English translations, particularly like King James Version, says count them better than you. Now, that's hard because that raises the question, how can I count this person better than me when I really have more gifting and skill than them? Right? Like, let's just be real. Like, how can I count this person like I sing better than them? How can I count them more significant than me? That's why I love this translation where it says more significant. It doesn't say better. It says count them more significant than you. So before you get in the conversation, are you thinking this person is more significant than me? Before you send that email, before you send that text message, before you send that Facebook post, are you saying others are more significant than I am. Now, this is, not, this is not like beating yourself down. This is not like a false humility. That's not what this is. It's just thinking right, rightly of yourself. Like, we're jacked up. Like, I'm, I don't know how else to say it. Like, everyone in here, we're messed up. And so you can't, we have no business going into community thinking that we are above anybody else. And we definitely have no business not being humble. Paul modeled this well. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 33. Paul says, I try to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. He also says in that same chapter, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Like, can you imagine how fruitful community would be if all of us came in here and tried to praise each other? Nobody came in here trying to floss. Nobody came in here trying to act like we got it together, but we came in and tried to pursue someone else's pushing them forward than actually pushing ourselves forward. See, we can't do that. We struggle deeply with that. He builds on this, though, in verse number four. His final verse, he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Notice this verse doesn't say, don't look at your interests. He didn't say that. He said, just don't only, don't only look at your interests. And so this is not, man, I have no life. I have to think about everybody else. He said, no, no, no. You can look at your interests, but don't only look at your interests. Seek the interests of others. He says it again later on in the chapter. He says, seeking the interests of Christ. Like how many of us walk into community and say, walk into the church, walk into your relationships that you have and gen with believers and genuinely say, listen, man, I want to push their interests. Like we get jealous when the Lord is blessing somebody else, when we think they, he should be blessing me. Like I should be a lot further along. And all of us have that little tendency. We won't admit it. But all of us have that, especially with somebody we don't like. All of us have that little thing when something bad happens to them. We're like, yeah, that's good. That's cool. <laughs> Like all of us have that in us. But Paul tells us today to listen, seek the interests of somebody else. Don't seek your own interests. We're too self-absorbed. We're too, or like we look at ourselves too much. Look at this word here. And I, I'm going to finish up because I do want to talk about DNA. Look at the word, let each of you look. Scopia is the, is the, is the, uh, the Greek term. It means to pay careful attention. That means that I don't just tolerate you in community. I actually, I'm attentional to watch and look at your life and see where a need is and see how I can plug it. 
We went to the car wash this weekend, and my oldest son and I, it was one of those car wash that you had to get out the car, and you go inside, and there's glass so you can see your car going through. And I have no clue why, but I looked over at, like, I was mesmerized watching the scrub, the rinse, and then watching the, the blow dryer, you know, dry the car off. And my son, I looked over at my son, and he was sitting in there, like, watching every piece of it. And I, I felt myself like drawn to watching every piece of this car wash too. That's what it should look like. We should be that intentional with other believers. Like genuinely looking, intently looking at their life. You hear a need, you see a need. You don't think to yourself, well, let me talk to you about myself. No, let's talk about you. Like what, what are you dealing with? How can I pray for you? Like you know how frustrating a conversation is when the entire conversation revolves around the other person? Like, have you ever been in that conversation where you're talking with somebody and everything they're saying is going back to them, back to them, back to them? And at some point, you're like, I wonder if this person's going to ask me how I'm doing because I'm broken right now. <laughs> they never get to ask it. You, you walk away from the conversation. It was so one-sided. That is a frustrating conversation. How about we reverse that? Let's not talk about ourselves. Let's say, man, how are you, man? Talk to me about you. And if the per other person does that, first of all, that's the gospel. Right, that's the gospel. That's sacrificially being in conversation with somebody else. I have something I want to tell you, but I want to hear about you. I want to hear about your kids. I want to hear what you need prayer for. And then I want to pray for it. See, that's real community. When you can take a conversation that is horizontal. Is this vertical? This is horizontal. You can take a conversation <laughs> that is horizontal and then turn it into an upward vertical petition to God. That's real community. And so my heart and prayer as we read through what Paul says is, listen, secure yourself in the person and work of Jesus. Then you'll be good to get around other believers. This, our community should look like extreme home makeover. You know, well, extreme home makeover, the whole community comes together to help somebody that's in need. Yep. Like someone loses a job, the community should be there. Like you're eating in somebody else's, that doesn't make sense according to the New Testament. That wouldn't have made sense when they said we share everything. We have all things in common. That would not make sense. And so my prayer and my hope today is that we would pursue deeply community. Let me talk to you about DNA um, and what that means. Discipleship, nurture, and accountability. We actually have um, DNA cards that will go out. I'll spend five minutes talking about this, and then I'll pray seven minutes, talking about ten minutes. All right. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, listen, don't ever believe a preacher when he says he's almost done. That means I got at least 20 more minutes. I don't have 20 more minutes, but we have connection, uh, connection cards. We have DNA um, pamphlets, cards with some information on there. I, I really want our church to pursue because what we need to do is we need to get out of the clouds with this community stuff and actually get on ground and actually doing it. All right. So yes, that starts with small groups later on in the fall, but we can do this now. If you guys could pass those out now, that'd be great. We can do this now. So DNA groups, discipleship, nurture, and accountability, um, th there's a few things that I, I have to point out. First of all, Philippians 1.27 says, striving side by side for the faith. What does DNA mean? DNA is an acronym for discipleship, nurture, and accountability. Who can I be in DNA with? DNA is gender specific. So fellas, you can't go to a girl and be like, yo, let's be in DNA, baby. <laughs> Doesn't work. You can't be in DNA with another girl. Ladies, you can't be in DNA with another guy. DNA is a brother and a brother or a sister and a sister. But what I'm hoping is that we can get two, no more than three DNA groups. 
So DNA is, is small clusters that my hope and prayer is that you would be all around Brooklyn, all around Queens, wherever you live. Uh, some folk come from Jersey. Wherever you live, actually doing life with somebody to where they actually know you. Now, there's a couple things I have to mention here. The first thing is there has to be confidentiality within DNA. Nobody wants to be in a relationship when they tell you something and five other people know. DNA is supposed to go deep. Now, I also want to mention that nobody's Jesus in this DNA group. Like, no one is the perfect one that's discipling the other. This is a mutual discipleship. We're learning. We're growing. We're trying to stir one another up for loving good deeds. That's what we're doing here. And so DNA groups um, is that, let me read this. DNA, is a, DNA group should consist of no more than two or three people, men with men, women with women. Keeping the groups two or three allows for frequent contact and depth of relationship. Um, that would not be possible within a larger group. So the reason we do DNA groups and then we'll roll out small groups is because there's things in small groups that you cannot talk about, but you would talk about it with another dude. Like there's something, if there's 10 of us around, five ladies and five men, I'm just not going to confess some stuff to you. But if it's me and another dude, I'll confess some stuff to him. So that's why we want to keep the group small. Keeping them gender specific keeps us from falling into unnecessary sin. We don't have women and men in DNA group because that level of relationship could birth some sin. It could. I'm not saying it always does. I know some of you have friends of the opposite sex. In community, in DNA groups, it's men with men, it's women with women. What should my time in DNA look like? These are very important. Meet in person at least two times a month. You can do every week if you want. But I'm saying at least two times a month, you should be getting with somebody else that's a believer. And, and expose yourself in these times. Don't get together and just surface. Just surface talk. We're supposed to do DNA, so what do you got? No, let's actually get deep into relationship. Uh, meetings should last for at least one hour. Read and meditate on God's word regularly. Honestly expose their sin. Very important. That's why confidentiality is important. Keep complete confidence um, with each member, what each member reveals. Encourage one another to take practical steps in breaking patterns of sin. Pray earnestly for one another and embrace Christ deep, in deep repentance. Continually pray for friends, family members, and others who are not yet following Christ. The last thing that I need to mention that I didn't put on here is don't let your DNA group become the gossip group. Like, we know there's things that could go that in life that could go on with somebody else. And it's easy to let your DNA group be, hey, you know what's really connecting us? Let's talk about that person. Let's talk about the church. Let's talk about Pastor B. Like, these things are dangerous and they will kill community. You're, if that kind of stuff happens, you need to be mature to say, you know what? Either we're not going to do that or we can't be in DNA. Because that's not healthy for us. DNA is, I'm going to go deep within what the scripture says, how we can apply, and how I can confess sin. That's what the, that's what the atmosphere should look like. Where should we meet? In houses, coffee shops, parks, restaurants, or wherever there can be real, genuine conversation and repentance and prayer. I, I got with, um, with Rodney earlier this week, and we were in the park. It was cool. It was fine. But we, got, we were together in a... Um, in the park by J Street Metrotech, 
And we're sitting there, people all around us, and we were like, man, let's, you know, let's just pray at the end of our time. We was like, let's pray. And so we like locked hands and we started to pray. And I felt everybody like, what are they doing? Like, what's going on? So you can meet wherever you want, wherever you meet, as long as you feel comfortable enough to really flesh out what DNA looks like. Does this make sense to everybody? So you guys can take these, you can take a couple of these if you want. I think there's a little bit more information on here in terms of discipleship, nurture, and accountability. I, I want to see this happen organically. And so there's intentional relationships, intentional community, and then there's organic ones. Organic ones is, I'd like you to, you already got friends. You already got two friends. You already got three friends. This just puts structure to your relationship. That's all this should do. I don't want to force anybody to say, hey, you should be in a relationship with him. Now, there are some people that I may tap on the shoulder and be like, man, have you considered being in a relationship with him? Because I do not want anybody to be unengaged. The point of community is for all of us to be known and all of us to be in deep relationships. And so um, that's all I got today. Let me, let me pray for DNA. Let me pray for community. Let me pray for our, our church. And let me pray for what Paul told us today about community. Let's go to the Lord. Lord, we thank you this morning for, um, for the community. We thank you that we are bound together by you being the glue. We're not bound together by community in and of itself. We're not bound together by um, just getting with friends. We're not bound together by getting over people's house. This is, and this stuff is important. But at the end of the day, the most important factor in our community, Lord, is, is us getting with you. And I pray for each and every relationship in here. Relationship in terms of their relationship with you. Would you help that relationship be secure? Not on your end. We're secure in you. Like none can pluck, you, pluck us out of your hand. But yet, we so often drift away from you. And so, Father, would you encourage our hearts today to go deeper with you? And as a result of that, would you help us to really be in relationship with one another. I'm not talking about this, this pseudo community where everything's going well and there's no issues. I'm talking where we get together, we cry together, we pray together, we confess sin together, we repent together. And at the, at the end of the day, both of us, all three of us are kneeling before your throne, pleading with you to be in our lives. Father, that's what we need today as it relates to community. Father, outside of the gospel, most of us wouldn't be friends. We don't have anything in common. We don't look alike. We didn't have the same worldview. We didn't have the same upbringing. But through the gospel, we get to see you. And because of you, we get to be in relationship with one another. When I think, Lord, about the garden and I think about sin destructing our relationship with you, I realized that it also impacted our relationship with one another. So this talking about DNA is not something that we're wired to do. This is something that we have to be intentional of. We have to seriously pursue it. Father, give us that today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.